Sunil Gupta reveals secrets to happiness at work. Everyday Dharma book interview. Join us in this enlightening conversation with Sunil Gupta, author of the transformative new book, Everyday Dharma, Timeless Techniques for Finding Happiness in Your Work. In a world where our jobs greatly influence our mental health, Sunil unfolds the ancient wisdom of Dharma and how it can be applied to our modern lives for a happier, more fulfilling experience at work. Discover how to transform your work life and find your happiness with everyday Dharma because joy in what we do isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. I am pleased to introduce our guest to you today. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Once labeled as the face of failure by the New York Times, Sunil Gupta transformed his setbacks into stepping stones towards success. As the founding CEO of Rise, an innovative wellness company recognized as App of the Year by Apple, Gupta demonstrated the power of resilience. Now a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, Harvard Medical School visiting scholar, and host of a global documentary series, Gupta focuses on uncovering and sharing habits that enhance performance and well-being. I'm so pleased to welcome to the stage here today, Mr. Sunil Gupta. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's good to be here, April. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. I'm very excited. Now, unfortunately, I have not yet read your book, but I love the title. It's very grabby. It's enticing. I'm so excited to dig in and learn more about it from you. But first off, 
we got to learn about your journey because you have had such an extraordinary experience on that to where you even came to where you are today. So let's share with the audience. Let's start off with a little bit more about you. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, April, as you mentioned, um, I, uh, my career had a very rocky beginning. I had started two companies that failed. I um, ran for public office and I lost. Um, I uh, has had a lot of sort of moments in my life where I felt like I wanted things to work out a certain way and they didn't. And I think that anybody watching can probably relate to that a little bit. Uh, the New York Times ended up doing an article on people who fail. And they used my face as one of the covers of that article. And uh, the story went so viral that I kid you not, there was a moment in time when you could have just Googled the word failure. Like, that's it, just the word failure. And my face <laughs> would have been one of your top search results. Wow. Um, but How did that make you feel? Let's just take a moment about this because sure. that's that's very impressive. I mean, in the beginning, I would I would assume that your feelings have transitioned over time from that experience. But yeah. what was the initial feeling? Embarrassment, embarrassment, um, and um, shame. Uh, when when I think so many of us, especially in today's world, want to be perceived as a success, right? I mean, if you look at you look no further than social media to see how profound that effect is of wanting to appear a certain way for yeah. other people, right? But that, but that's 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 our human nature. It's just manifesting itself through social. Ten years ago, when this article came out, I was no different. I wanted to be perceived as somebody who was successful, and now every time you Google my name. You're going to see an article about my failures, literally a list of all the ways in which I have failed. Somebody important to me gave me a piece of advice back then. And what she said to me is that long-term success can come from short-term embarrassment if you can learn something from it, if you can do something with it. Um, another way to say that is failure doesn't necessarily have to be the opposite of success. Failure, if treated well, can be a pathway to success. Yeah. And for me, what that basically meant was I started sharing this article out with all these people that I admired from Oscar winning filmmakers to celebrity chefs to coaches of professional sports teams, leaders of large iconic companies. And I would literally just send them a link to the article. And by the way, these people had no idea who I was. These were all cold call emails. And I would say, hey, as you can see from this email, from this article, I don't know what I'm doing would you be willing to give me some advice? And the response rate to that email was just extraordinarily high. People just got such a kick out of this, 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 you know, failure boy reaching out, you know, kind of wearing it on my sleeve. And that was 10 years ago. That has since uh, changed the path of my career into what has now been me basically traveling around the world, me taking on this role at Harvard Medical School, and, and now writing books and speaking to audiences about the hundreds of leaders, extraordinary people that I've had a chance to go out and study. And the, 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 the change though, the flip, I'm, I'm certainly not the first person who has gone out there and studied great leaders to unpack their habits. Right. The, the, the shift though for me is I don't want to know what it was like for them to be at the top. I want to know what it was like for them to be at the bottom. Mm. In other words, I'm, I'm studying the highest performers at their lowest moments when things did not go well in their lives, when they were when they were messing it all up, when they felt like they didn't have the confidence, they didn't have the courage. 
what were the things that they did internally in those moments in order to in order to succeed externally over time that's really the focus of my research now can i just say how brilliant that is first off to i mean i would love to know what you were thinking where that initial thought stemmed and that sparked that uh, that idea, that movement to contact other people. And mm -hmm. I think that when people are at their lowest and they have surpassed that and exceeded and have become successful, I mean, it's very rare that you find successful people that haven't had numerous failure yeah. after failure after failure. It's just a part of the game. Yeah. And so I, I would love to know, do you recall what sparked that the idea to even do that in the first place? I think it you know it started it started not as a grandmaster plan. It started more kind of on a whim. Hey, what if I start to reach out to one or two people and just ask them for their advice? And by the way, what if I include instead of hiding from this thing where I know if they Google my name, this is the first thing that's going to pop up. So instead of sort of hiding behind that, what if I just you know like leaned into it a little bit, included the link to the article, owned it. What would that look like and how would the, how would people respond and what do i have to lose because you know yeah. they don't know who i am anyway and even if they just ignore my email or just say no like i've lost nothing but what i realized is that just after sending a couple of those like the response was is not was not just hey i'll speak to you it was kind of like hey i really liked your email and by the way i've got a lot to say about this topic right the thing the mismatch that i was beginning to notice as i started just having a few of these conversations is that the stories I was learning were stories that I could not find easily online. So when I was Googling people and I was looking at their bio, I was looking at their LinkedIn profiles, looking at the articles that were written about them, the vast majority of what was out there was about their success. Mm. But there was actually very little about these companies that didn't work, these projects that went under, the, the, the bankruptcies and, and all of the stuff that happened along the way. N none of that stuff was, was visible in a way that the success was. And it struck me as like, well, you know, I'm not somebody who naturally feels a lot of confidence or courage. Um, and I think that a lot of people sort of feel that way. And the, the, the problem is that sometimes when we look at the journey of people who we admire, sometimes it almost appears that they had that courage and that they had that confidence from the beginning right? That they were just naturally good at what they did, right? And that creates a barrier. It creates, an, it creates a mental and emotional barrier between us and our dreams. Yeah. Because in some ways, the underlying belief is, wow, I admire those people and I am not anything like them. But I wanted to dispel that myth through these true stories of how people who we admire were just as afraid. They, were, they faced just as many setbacks they, they messed up just as much, right? One of the big punchlines of, of my research has been that we often see courage as something that leads to action, right? So we build up enough courage in order to then take action. But if you look at the behavior pattern of almost all the people out there who have changed the world, it was actually the other way around. Courage didn't lead to action. Action led to courage. Right. They didn't have necessarily the, the, the you know, the, the fortitude, you know, naturally, yeah. but they were kind of like, all right, I'm not going the, the the difference, though, is that they play what I now call in my new book, the game of now, the game of now, as opposed to the game of someday, 
they realized that they were missing courage. They weren't as brave as they wanted to be, but they didn't allow them to stop that from taking action, right? They, they were able to pair doubt with action. And I ultimately think that is the path, right? How do we own our doubt? How do we own the fact that we are scared instead of denying that true emotion, but at the same time, not let that inhibit us from taking the actions that will ultimately lead us to where we need to be? Well, and that's exactly what you did by reaching out to some of these top people. And not only did they respond in such a beautiful manner because they relate, they were able to relate to you. That's the power of sharing our stories. But it also switched the perspective in a, in a beautiful light for you. Mm. And I think that when we share our stories, people can have that relation. That's why I love having people do that on the Wellness Driven Life Show because it is easy to have this idea of when we see somebody that's in the spotlight, in fame, it's easy to think, oh, it's just natural or they come by it or they, you know, came to it through family or, or whatever things that they had maybe given to them or maybe it was easy, but it, it couldn't be farther from the truth, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the path that has that has led me to, you know, being able to sit down with you and and talk about, you know, how well-being plays into all of this because ultimately I think well-being is a key key role and we have separated work and well-being. You know, we use words like balance and I think balance is is a well-intended word that can sometimes send off the wrong message. Because what it ultimately means is that we have compartmentalized these two parts of our life, right? Work is different than well-being and well-being is different than work. And yet at a deep level, I think each of us knows that that is just not true. Our work impacts our well-being and our well-being impacts our work. The number one determiner of our mental health right now for most Americans is our job. It's, it's yeah. actually what we do each day. Right. And so while the temptation for companies and organizations and leaders is to say, you know what, mental well-being is obviously important, but that's separate. That's just that's an old school way of thinking. Right. The truth is that it, there's a deep, deep interflow between these two different worlds. And so now I think it's it's shaking up everything with a sense of urgency because we are where we are. Less than 30 percent of the workforce is engaged with what we do. People are quietly quitting or allowed quitting. There was a stat that came out the other day that said over 90% of people are right now in search of their next thing, right? We're, we're constantly moving to the next thing. So there's a lot of urgency right now for us to figure this out. I think both as organizations, mm. but also for ourselves. Yeah, it, it is staggering the number of people who are so dissatisfied with, with work and yeah. it, it bleeds into you know, and vice versa, work and personal life. And so, yes, it's definitely a hot topic. It's something that has to be addressed. And I'm curious, I want to go back a little bit more because you've done all these incredible studies. You've gotten a lot of feedback from people and business owners. What what was some of the most powerful things, the, the key things that you heard Hmm. from people out of these studies, if you could think of a few. Sure. Yeah. Let's start with, let's start with one, which is that, you know, if you look at people who tend to run out of steam in their careers, people who fizzle out, very rarely do they run out of time, 
Very rarely do they run out of talent, but what they almost always run out of is energy. And we just get too exhausted to do what we want to do, right? And, and if you're exhausted, you might have the greatest ambitions, you might have the most beautiful goals, you know, but you're not going to be able to fulfill your potential. And it happens all of the time. People with incredible potential who never reach it because they just simply don't have enough gas in the tank. They become exhausted. Exhaustion leads to disengagement. And disengagement leads to withdrawal, right? Um, and so what we, what we, I think, need to start thinking about, I think, as, I think as, as human beings, but also as organizations and leaders, is we have been so, we've been so fixated on time. Mm. Like, how do we manage time? But we haven't really thought enough about how do we manage energy, right? Our energy and the energy of the people around us. And one of the one of the very practical sort of things that I see in, in, in the research and the science is that up until now, vacations and long breaks have been sort of our instrument for dealing with exhaustion, for dealing with burnout. And vacations are wonderful, but the truth is that a lot of people show up, come back from vacation, and report being more stressed out one week after vacation than they did one week before they left for vacation, right? And so Practically speaking, what that means is when you're on the beach or you're with family, you're hanging out, like it's a nice restful time, but ultimately it doesn't necessarily lead to the reduction in burnout that we were hoping for, right? right? And so we need to start exploring other tools. And if you look at high performers across all different industries, whether it be in business, investing, music, entertainment, sports, they're not waiting for breaks. They're not waiting for vacations in order to get these periods of rest. They're actually taking like multiple focused breaks every single day. In fact, mm. the average high performer that we study is taking somewhere around eight breaks every single day, Yeah, right? which like I, I know sounds extraordinary. Like I know sounds like out of reach because well, we're not the, familiar with it. We're not familiar with it. And also like, look at the world that we're in. Like we're back to back to back in a way that we've never been before. Even April, as you and I were like starting this before we hit like go live where you and I are both scrambling, right? You were coming from, you know, a th an event that you did with John Maxwell, John Maxwell's yeah. leadership training. I, I was coming from something else. It, it can always seem like, you know, as soon as we end one thing, we're late for the next thing, right? And the result of it is just this exhaustion that builds throughout the day, right? Where by the end of the day, you really do feel like you're in the red. By the end of the week, you are done, right? I think the sadness about it too is it's not accepted by societal standards too um, so much. Yeah. When we we do take time to slow down or that eight-minute, you know, breaker or what I, I don't yeah. think you said eight minute but but that you know when we when we take those moments that we need to you know get back into ourselves I think it's just not as accepted it's not the yeah. commonality yeah I think it's so right that's so right especially like in the middle of a work day to be able to say hey listen I need to go I need to go right. like take a take a, a, an extended break from myself people well, what about the meeting and what about this and what about that like so one of the ways that I recommend integrating this in a lightweight way is what I call the 55-5 model, 55-5, which is that for whenever possible, and it's not always, but whenever possible, for every 55 minutes of work, you're building in five minutes of focused, deliberate rest, five minutes, mm -hmm. right? And 
if it can't be five, then maybe it's two. But the question, the, the, like, really, it's about creating these transitional moments, right? Because what we're finding in the science, and it's very, very powerful, is that while it may seem like you're reducing the amount of time that you're giving each hour, the amount of time you're giving to your work, what the science is showing us is that those five minutes are making the other 55 minutes far more productive, far more mm -hmm. creative, far more energetic, all of the things that we associate with success. And not only does that have an effect on you, but it has an effect on the people around you. When you walk into a meeting or even get on a screen with somebody and you feel like this, this reset, that gives them some positive energy as well. And we need that right now more than anything else. The thing that I think, the mindset shift, I think, April, is that we have been conditioned in a lot of ways to see rest as a reward, right? We have to earn our periods of rest. That's mm -hmm. how we've been conditioned. And the shift, I think, is going from seeing rest as a reward for what we have done to a preparation for what we are about to do. Yeah. Because when we can make that shift mentally, that is what I think gives us, especially the most ambitious amongst us, the permission to start taking these rests throughout the day. And what we hear back from teams, executives, leaders who we test this with is that they're actually feeling as much energy now at the end of the day as they did at the beginning of the day, simply by taking these rhythmic renewal recoveries throughout. Yeah, I love your choice of wording permission. It gives us permission. It's like we we have to feel like we have earned it or it's okay to. And I, I also love that there has been studies conducted on how we, we do perform and produce better after taking these minor breaks where we can reset. Um, yeah. You know, similar to why sleep is so vitally important because it, it gives us that restoration we, that we we essentially have to have in order to really perform at our best. Totally. So yeah. I'm curious, what what are some of the things that you would suggest to somebody to uh, reset? You know, you take yeah. that five minutes. What what do you think that um, is optimal for people to be utilizing that five minutes for? Okay, great question. First thing, first things first. This is not a place, this five minute period is not a place to multitask. So you're not, you're not, you're not getting in like little drips of work during this it's five not, minutes. It's right? not resetting yourself with your to-do list and your schedule That's right. on your phone. Yeah. So yeah. this, to the extent that you can, or to the extent yeah. that it's not part of the break itself, just leaving this behind. And it's, it's unbelievable. The people I coach when I'm like, Hey, listen, what would it feel like to go take a walk right now without your phone? And they and, and they report back to me that it's that it's almost like a little bit scary, right? Mm -hmm. Like 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 pe it's almost like it's almost like in some ways leaving the nest because, <laughs> because like you're just like oh my god like you're untethered for the first time, and you know I, and I felt the same way by the way when I started literally just taking a walk around my block without my phone I was like wow. Something is literally wrong here, right? Yeah. But I also found that at the end of that five minutes, at the end of that walk, I felt way more reset than I did even if I just had this thing in my pocket, knowing that I was fully plugged in in case somebody needed me. There's a mental and emotional tie that is still yeah. with you. 
So just leaving this behind for five minutes can be a big difference. But then what are we doing? We're having, we're having, we're having a cup of coffee, right? When is the last time that you sat down and just sipped on a cup of coffee without checking your email or checking your phone? Right. Right. Um, it, like I ask people that all the time and, and it's like very few, right? You yeah. could be, you could be doing push-ups or sit-ups if that's your thing. You could be taking a walk out in nature. Just uh, there's a tree in my backyard and sometimes I will literally just go to it. It's a lot, I know, but I, I just go to it and I will literally just put my hand up to the tree and yeah. just kind of, just kind of just stand there. For well, that's grounding it's or, grounding me. It's or grounding earthing, me. however people want to term it now, but that's exactly what it is. You're, you're recharging from the, you're, you're recharging your battery from earth's energy. Exactly. By... Exactly. So everything, dan like dancing, yeah. you know, dancing, yeah. meditation, if that's your thing. So my advice is to have a list, create almost like a little menu that you can just easily go to. So every time you have that five minute break, you pick something off the menu, right? And keep experimenting with it. You'll you like ask, it's actually one of my favorite small talk questions. Like I'm actually really bad at small talk. My wife makes fun of me for it all the time. I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to do it. But one of my favorite small talk conversations is, hey, like, what do you do when you want to take a break? Like, well, how do you how do you reset yourself? And I get great answers to this question. The, the other day I was asking somebody, what they did and he's and this this leader is like hey i um i like to i like to talk to myself and i was like oh wow that's a very like honest answer and so where, where does this happen do you go in your office do you shut the door and he's like no no i we're back in the office we're not work from home anymore but i i talk to myself and we have an open floor plan i'm like well, so how do you do how do you pull this off and he's like well i just put my airpods in i put my airpods in and then i kind of just walk around and people think that i'm talking to somebody else but I'm actually oh, just talking. Nice. I'm actually just talking to myself, and that for him is his easiest way to reset himself. Wow, um, that's brilliant. That's I mean that's fascinating. And and because and I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard that there's been some research and studies about uh, the power of actually talking to yourself out loud, and yeah. you know having conversations. I mean, when you think about us as children, we do that, or we have the imaginary friends, right? We're in that creative space and on a totally different level. So that's very interesting. And I love that you brought up to leave the phone behind. It is fascinating how tethered we are to that and how fearful we get. It's it's fascinating. And if people don't think that they're fearful without it, if they haven't tried it, try it and see what happens, right? Yeah. Um, and I can attest because I, I left my phone in my mom's truck when she dropped me off at the airport and then it was too late. I was on a plane. So I was away from my phone for all for a few days because then it had to be shipped. But it's it's just incredible how we feel like our entire lives and communication is on this thing. Right. And, um, you know, when we don't have it, it's like, oh, my gosh, anxiety. What do I do? But, <laughs> And then you have to start thinking outside of the box, like, oh my gosh, what did we do back in the nineties? Or, totally. you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. So I think it's awesome that you say that, just give it a try and, you know, try these different things that you could be doing like the pushups or the walk or the drinking yeah. the coffee without anything else. And just being, 
you know, present with whatever it is. I also enjoy the dancing because, you know, turn on the music and dance for five yeah. minutes. Not only are you getting the physical activity, but it's it's very joyful. Um, movement creates emotion, right? It, so, it does. It does. And, you know, there's a great book on this called Why, Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. And, you know, one of the it's a great book and a great title. And one of the things that the, the author talks about is if you look at the animal kingdom, after there's a struggle, what most animals will do after they're in a really intense situation is you'll literally just see them shaking it off, right? Mm -hmm. They'll literally shake it off. And in zebras in particular, they almost look like they're having ulcers. Sorry, not ulcers. They're having, they're having like spasms, right? They're, they're just kind of really sort of shaking off their body. And, you know, dancing is a wonderful way to do that because as human beings, we don't shake things off, right? Like physically, we don't shake things off. And so what's happening is that we're, we're, we're building all of some motion, right? And a lot of it is negative energy that accumulates throughout the day. And it's just storing and it's storing and it's storing because we haven't been as smart as animals in like just being able to shake it off. But dancing is a really nice way to do that. Getting any yeah. kind of movement is a great way of doing that. But, you know, in particular, like, you know, I have, I have two daughters, I have an 11 year old and a six year old, and we love our dance breaks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very powerful. Uh, I like to, um, my husband and I, we love going out dancing. If we can get out twice on the weekend, then we, we love to be able to do that. So support your local band artists, you know, <laughs> and, and go shake it off. And yeah, yeah. just, I love that that you brought in the the animalistic part because we we have that and it is shaking off that energy that we have. It's an incredible release. So when we talk about everyday dharma, I would love to know how did you come up with the title first of all? Because it it's a it's a it's a catchy. I mean, for somebody like me and probably most of the people listening to the wellness driven life show, it's like, okay, well that, that strikes my interest. Mm. So how did you come upon the decision of the title and, and what are some of the things that we get to experience within the pages? Yeah. I love that question. You know, um, Dharma is your, is your essence. And when you're expressing that essence, you come alive in a brand new way. You feel confident, you feel creative. Um, and when you're not, you can feel lost and you can feel depleted. Um, you can feel empty. And I think a lot of us are feeling that way right now. And, you know, the question though is how do we take this, you know, topic like Dharma or, you know, our purpose and how do we bring that into a busy life? Because when we think about topics like purpose, what it can sometimes conjure up is images of quitting your job or going back to school or, you know, even just like leaving it all behind and going backpacking through the Himalayas, you know, mm. and it was almost like Instagrammable sort of images, right? But the, the reality is that most of us don't have that ability, right? We, 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 have, we have bills, we have commitments, we have back-to-back, -back, you know, schedules, we have kids to drop off, we have sometimes aging parents to take care of, like we have a lot, right? And the ability of just sort of like throwing it all out the door is not necessarily an option. So for us, separation isn't the path, it's integration. It's taking, you know, the purpose that we have in our life and fitting it in to the realities that we have in front of us. And that's really what this book is all about, right? How do we sort of stop thinking about something like purpose as this grandiose, 
action that we need to take where we rip the Band-Aid off and how do we start to do little bits of alignment. Ultimately, Dharma, the art of Dharma is aligning who you are with what you do, aligning who you are with what you do. And the good news is that you don't have to go searching for who you are. It's already inside of you, right? It, it, Michelangelo would look at a block of marble and he would say, the sculpture is already inside. All I have to do is sort of chisel away the layers that are hiding it. And yeah. Dharma is very much the same. Like, there is something about you and you have been in touch with that thing. It may have been last week. It may have been last year. It may have been when you were a kid. What tends to end up happening for busy people is that it gets buried. It gets buried under expectations, judgments, priorities, all the things that we have going on in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we can take these little chisels, just little chisels, and we can start to kind of chip away. And every time we do, more of who we are gets to shine through what we do. Oh, that's beautiful. What are some of the ways to tap into that? Now you're talking about being able to kind of chisel away at that to yeah. find the golden nuggets that we have within ourselves. And could you give us a, a couple tips or tricks or yeah. ideas that you have to tap into that? A hundred percent. So one of my favorite, and it's one of my favorites because it's simple, is what I call the bright spots chisel. And the bright spots chisel is simply taking a reflective moment to really think about what are the bright spots of your workday? Right. What are the moments that give you little bits of joy? And even if you don't like your job, even if you're not, you're, you're, you're looking for your next thing because this is no longer working for you. What I often almost always find is that we can, we can still spot these tiny, if, if not fleeting moments, right? Even if they're very temporary moments where it actually does give us that energetic boost. Maybe it's in certain types of conversations with colleagues. Maybe it's a certain type of work you do at your desk, right? But there are these tiny little moments that give us this joy. And when we can start to tune into that, what we can often find is that those can, they, those can offer windows into our essence. Those can offer windows and in, back into who we really are. And I'll give you an example. So uh, there was a nurse that I wrote about in my book. Her name is Karen Strzok. And she really wanted to be a writer when she was growing up. But when it came time to choose a profession, her parents really were like, look, writing is not something that's going to pay the bills. We want you to do, do something that's more practical. And she became a nurse and she was really good at it. But there was always sort of that, that, that terror that I think we, we sometimes feel of like, what if, like, what, what if I had done that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she felt it and, and there was this emptiness inside I me. Mean, you know, per, like, I just want to say this because it's important. Purpose is one of those words that we throw around in really flowery ways. Mm. But the truth is that it can hurt like hell, right? Like purpose is one of those things. Dharma is one of those things that either it will, it will light up the world around you or it will burn a hole inside of you. Oh. So if it's unexpressed and it's living inside of you, it's eating away. And there are so many people right now who feel that way. And Karen, this nurse, was really one of them. But the way that she was able to find this outlet, what she realized is that the bright spots of her day was when she was doing patient paperwork, which I know sounds a little like odd, right? Because patient paperwork, we think of it as like the clinical details. You put in the clinical details of a patient and you hit print. What she realized is that she was getting a little bit of an energetic spark from that, right? And so she said, what, what, what can I do to go even deeper into that spark? 
And what she started to do is she took it upon herself to start writing more about each patient, not just the clinical details, but who they were, mm. who, do they, who do they love? What did they enjoy doing when they were home? What kind of a person really was this? Yeah. And she would write these almost like illustrative, almost tiny novels. Each patient paperwork, each patient form turned into this like this brilliant story that was passed around the hospital from doctors to nurses. Aww. And it reminded them of the humanity of what they were doing. It gave yeah. them it gave them energy. And Karen became known throughout her hospital system as this brilliant writer. Now, she didn't have to leave her job in order to live her dharma, right? She was able to find it through these little moments throughout her day. And I think that's the myth sometimes is that we have to abandon our life in order to transform the way that we live. Right. Well, sometimes we can't abandon our life, right? Sometimes we, yeah. are, we, are, we are here right now. And the act is not an act of separation. The act of dharma is an act of integration. I think that we should all know how to do that when, you know, you talked about we, we can't escape or flee our current circumstances and situations. So because we're here now, what, and having a different twist on it and, and yeah, sitting with yourself and going deeper on, okay, what can I see? Where's that light that, yeah. that does bring me that little bit of joy and how can I expand that? And so what she did was really, she brought love back into it and that humanity yeah. back into her position. So she didn't only affect herself, but I mean, probably countless numbers of people around her and spreading that kind of energy is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other, the other chisel. So that was the bright spots chisel. The other chisel I'll share with you, April, is is really the, being able to look beneath the hood of your dream job. So, so many people I talk to right now are like, hey, like, I, I have a sense of like, I wouldn't love to go do that, right? But I can't because I don't have the right education. I can't, I can't like leave and go back to school. You know, I have a certain salary right now. And that thing that I want to go do wouldn't give me the same amount of salary that I need for my family. There are all sorts of reasons as to why we feel like we can't go do our dream job, right? And 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 some of them are like I think like some are really valid, right? Yeah. Like, given the commitments we have. There's another story in the book about a woman named Mila who was in this situation. She's a project manager inside a big company, and she really wanted to be a teacher, but she could not afford to leave her job. Her family relied on her health care insurance. They relied on her salary. And there was just no, like, it wasn't feasible for her to sort of throw that all out the door, go get a teaching certificate and become a teacher. So like a lot of us, she felt trapped, right? She felt like she was walking somebody else's path. Her job was much more of a paycheck than it was a passion. Mm. But, then, but then one day she sits down with a mentor of hers and her mentor asked her a very simple question, but profound. She says, what is it specifically about teaching that captivates you? And as Mila took a really like honest, hard look at that question, she went beneath the title, she went beneath the summer vacations off, like some of the other things that she had in mind about teaching. She went beneath the title of teacher and into what she really loved about teaching. What she realized is that what she really liked was helping people grow. Hmm. Her essence, right? And yes, teaching was one way to express that essence, but there were many other ways as well. Dharma is equal to essence plus expression. 
then your essence might be something that's already inside of you. Expressions are endless. There are always multiple ways to express that essence. For her, teaching was one of them, but there were others. She ended up making a, a relatively small shift into a training role, a learning and development role inside her own company. Right? Mm. And when that happened, everything changed. She became a rising star within the company. Her husband noticed. Her kids saw their mother come alive. Mila started waking up like she used to dread going into her job. She started waking up with enthusiasm and energy, right? And again, it brings us back to this myth that we have to destroy our life, right? We have to like throw everything out the door in order to transform the way that we live. But oftentimes our dharma can be right within our reach in our current circumstances right now. I love that you bring that up because it is so important that we we do go a little bit deeper and what can we do with with what we're we're doing right now in order to express ourselves in the way that we do and i think that when we do that like you just said it's it, it changes everything where we find that joy if we have those moments each and every single day of mm -hmm. this is why i want to get out of bed in the morning and yeah and give people the opportunity to, to just shine. And it, it changes not only ourselves, but everybody else around us. Yeah. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. So I want to make sure that everybody knows where to, to find you. And I put displayed it a few times on the screen, but you have an Instagram account. Your handle is at Sunil Gupta. Mm -hmm. And then I, I know that in the description below, people who are tuning in and check that description out because it does offer the links to find more about Sunil and his book. Check out his book. I'm very excited to see it and learn more because you've already given us so much juicy content, insight, tips and tricks on how to be able to be our best selves and to shine given our current circumstances, that it doesn't have to be something so extraordinary or extravagant. It doesn't have to be some massive shifts, but we can start now where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, April, I mean, I, I love what you do on this show. I mean, your your warmth and your wisdom and just what you bring um, and just a, just a genuine sense of curiosity. And, and I know that your audiences really appreciate what you do and what you bring because we need it more than right now than 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 ever before. And just know that I'm I'm one of those listeners and, and I appreciate what you do. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it certainly would not be possible without beautiful souls such as yourself also doing the work to give the planet really incredible ideas and different ways of thinking to be our best selves. And I truly believe that that is how we evolve as a species is by just learning more and uh, doing the work within ourselves. So thank you for sharing your story. It's been incredible. It's been an honor. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience today, Sunil? Oh, gosh. You know, um, the person who first inspired me to write this book, Everyday Dharma, was my grandfather. And he's the person who first taught me about Dharma. And I'll see if you can see this. This is the, this is the book cover. And, I you know, that. In the book, the book, what you'll see here is the wheel of Dharma. So if you take off the, the jacket, it exposes the full wheel. And what my grandfather told me is that this wheel of Dharma is basically your life, right? And what ends up happening for most of us is we go through life, the wheel will start to spin faster and faster and faster, right? Each birthday will start to appear like it came a little bit sooner than the birthday before it. And years will start to squish together. And what ends up happening as a result of that for a lot of us is we lose our way right from here, which is really kind of who we are. And so, you know, the question I think for all of us and really what this book about is about is how do we start to find our way back to the center, right? How do we start to do little things that bring us back to who we are so that we can express that through what we do? And when that happens, it doesn't just have an effect for your life, but it gives permission to the people around them as well. I mean, you know, we all know what it's like to be with somebody who's expressing who they are, right? No, truly who they are. And it has cascading effects for everybody around you. So that's really what this book is about, is about how do we find our way back to the center? Oh, that's beautiful. And you truly do. You've already begun explaining so much of that here that given really incredible insights and ways to getting back to that center it's a beautiful picture. I love how you incorporated that. To me, it brings in the 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 human, the soul. You know, when we when we talk about meeting and be getting balance, although I don't always like to use that word, but really becoming whole as yeah. as a human being yes. and it's that mind, body, spirit. And to me, you're really encompassing all of that. So, thank you again, Sunil, for yeah, being thanks. a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. It truly has been an honor and a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, same. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. All right. Goodbye, everyone, for now. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time. <laughs>